Hi everybody and welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study where we will study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's date is the 12th of June 2001. I'm Maria F. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from County Dublin in Ireland and I'm your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Nancy J and Sue L. If you have any questions or if you have any concerns during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of Listen to this woman. Hope she stopped talking. And you, oh, you can. Barbara, can you just mute yourself? We're on the recording. Thanks, Barbara. Um, or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker today, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer session which follows, that will not be recorded. And we've posted a link in the chat box of the previous week's recordings, and we'll post that again throughout the um, study today. We kindly ask if you could please keep your microphones on mute at all times during today's study. And if you need to step away from your video for any reason, if you need to eat or exercise or step away, please just disconnect your camera because it can be distracting for other members. So now we'll turn over to Harlan G. Uh, good morning to you, Harlan. Good morning, Maria. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody that makes this possible. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. It is June the 12th, 2021. And I hope that wherever you're listening to this from, whether it is on a podcast or whether it is live as we're doing it today, that it is absolutely as stunning a day where you are as it is here in the desert in Arizona, in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I live. We have been talking about the chapter Two Wives. And this is a chapter that when we start examining it and we start opening it up and we pop open the hood on it, we start to find out that it is a lot more about all of us, not only as addicts, but the people around us as it is to the wife or the, you know, we get this impression that it's the father or the dad or the man that's the alcoholic and the wife. No, no, no. It's about all of us as addicts and all of us who are surrounded by other people. And so we've been discussing and we've been examining this chapter. And what we're going to do this morning is we are going to examine on the bottom of page 108, the four types of drinkers. Now notice it doesn't say the four types of alcoholics. I believe, and I don't have scientific evidence of this, I believe that alcoholism and drug addiction and compulsive overeating and, and addiction of any kind, really, they don't need to be enumerated here, is a spectrum disorder. What does that mean? A spectrum disorder, meaning it affects different people at different depth. I have seen people literally starve themselves to death. One of my experiences in this program was to watch one of the most beautiful, fabulous young ladies here. When I first moved to Arizona, uh, she was just a fabulous, fabulous lady. And she used to tell stories of putting toothpaste and putting 
uh, hairbrushes in her pockets when she would need to get weighed because she knew that she had lost weight because she knew that in treatment, she had successfully not eaten some of the food that she was supposed to have eaten and she passed away. Now is everyone who's anorexic or everyone who's a restrictor or bulimic gonna go to that length? I don't think so, not based on what I've seen, although their stories are quite painful and horrible and nightmarish enough to bring them to our doors, maybe they wouldn't have gone to that length. And then there are the other people who, like me, I was 335 pounds as a senior in high school. I was 500 pounds by the time I was a sophomore in college and 600 pounds by the time I graduated college. And then I went beyond that. But there are people who can top that. They died from this disease. And so so far, I'm still here. Hopefully, I'll be here for a while, but I'm here right now. So I believe that it is a spectrum disorder. But what we're going to do, and I don't have scientific backing for that. It's just something I believe through observation. And what I mean by a spectrum disorder is there is a spectrum and it affects different people at different levels. Do we have some things absolutely in common? Absolutely. We all have the physical allergy. That is no matter where you are, you have that. What is that physical allergy? The allergy is an ab adverse abnormal reaction to the food, beverage, or substance, making it impossible for me to stop once I've started. And we have the mental twist, which drives us into the food irresistibly in search of relief from the intenable, unbearable, unbelievable, horrible pain of not eating. And we can't bear the buildup of those emotions. And we all have the mental blank spot. What is the mental blank spot? The mental blank spot is that part of our brains which functions abnormally. It will not allow me to conjure up the memory of the binge of a day ago, a week ago, an hour ago. And I will seek the food because I know what the food will do for me and I will discount what the food does to me. And it says in the big book that we cannot recall this. And it's like, we forget that putting our hand on a hot stove burns us. Now I would never deliberately just to make believe my desk is a hot stove. I would never put my hand on a hot stove. My brain functions normally and it lets me know that there is danger and I'm not going to do that. I'm not gonna put my hands on a hot stove. But when it comes to Doritos, when it comes to uh, Reese's peanut butter cups, when it comes to you know God knows what, I'm gonna eat it again and again and again. And you've all heard me say this. If you haven't, I'm going to say it now. I have eaten railroad cars full of, of uh, Oreo cookies to kill the pain, the guilt, and the shame of eating railroad cars full of Oreo cookies. And so it's insane behavior. Anyway, let's go to the bottom of page 108 and let's examine these four types of drinkers. Now, notice again, it doesn't say that it gives us um, 
four types of alcoholics. It's four types of drinkers because there are people who get in trouble with food. There are people who get in trouble with liquor. There are people that get in trouble with drugs that are not drug addicts, alcoholics, or compulsive overeaters. This is something I've heard a long, long time. All my life I've heard this, and you may have heard this too. Well, I gained a little weight after this or after that or whatever. You know, I went to the gym and I took the weight off. I don't see why you can't either. Or the alcoholic example is even funnier. You know, I was a real serious alcoholic when I was in college, but when I graduated college, I met Mary over here. And when I met Mary, why we went to church for our wedding. And when I went to church for our wedding, I said, I'm not going to be an alcoholic anymore, damn it and I'm not an alcoholic anymore. That is somebody, and they say those crazy things because they don't really understand. If you are an alcoholic, you are not going to ever be until death. You are not ever going to be a former alcoholic. If you are a compulsive overeater, you will never be a former compulsive overeater. That doesn't mean you can't recover and be recovered. It doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is, once a pickle, always a pickle. What do we know about the disease based on the information in chapter three? Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. The disease never goes away. The disease is permanent. The disease is progressive and the disease is fatal. I have a friend of mine, he lives in Oklahoma and he says the disease is permanent progressive and fatal. He likes to throw in the three P's, but since fatal doesn't start with a P, he puts in fatal. But anyway, the disease is permanent. The disease is progressive and the disease is fatal. And because the disease is progressive, this is a sand, a quicksand pool that a lot of people fall into. They fall into complacency. They go into a mode where they go to their X amount of meetings. They do X amount of service, but they don't take care of themselves. And they don't give credibility to the fact that every single day that we are lucky enough to wake up in the morning, three things have occurred while we were sleeping. Number one, we got older. And as we age, we are less able to fend off the disease of compulsive overeating or its manifestation, the excess weight. We cannot burn the food as efficiently. I'm 67 years old. I can't burn food as efficiently today as I could when I was 18. It's, it's just not possible. You could exercise from now until the cow jumps over the moon, but you will, I am never going to uh, metabolize food like I did. Okay, sorry about that. I don't know how that happened, but okay. Um, it's, it's not possible. And the second thing that happened is things are changing. Oh, things are changing no matter what. Hey, listen, 
Look at a year ago, a year and a half ago, have any of you heard of Corona or COVID a year and a half ago? No way. But look at what has happened in the world and every day changes are upon us. And some of those changes are gonna be things that get right past us. We're not gonna pay attention to them. You know, the, the price of tea in China or the price of gasoline in Antarctica, we're probably not gonna be concerned with very much. But here's what we will be concerned with when something threatens our basic instincts of life, when we fear losing something that we want to hang on to, or we fear not getting what we want in the future, that's going to get our attention. And in order to reduce the toxicity of these emotions without knowing any of this, we are going to medicate with certain foods and certain amounts of foods. And when we do, we're going to effectively kill the pain for about nine to 10 seconds. But unfortunately, we're going to also trigger the physical allergy, making it impossible to stop. Now, here's the third thing, and I hadn't planned on talking about this today, but I guess God wants me to. Here's the third thing that happened while you were sleeping your disease got worse. Now, the reason that I talk about this with people that I sponsor, and if we could get people that I sponsor here on the line, they would all tell you that I talk to this, I talk to them about this at least once a week. You've got to take action, I tell them, because I'm in that position to tell them what to do. After all, I'm their sponsor, right? No, I, I won't talk like that. What I need to do, what I need to remember, boys and girls, is that I need to do more and I need to do different. And I cannot lose myself in service. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that kind of a contradictory message? You just told me I need to do more. I need to do different, but I can't lose myself in service. That means I have to do more service. I have to do different service. I have to shake things up every once in a while, but I also have to make sure that as I concentrate on step 12, then I am also effectively doing 10 and 11. What's the biggest mistakes I've made in my life? Oh, we don't have time for that. But one of the biggest mistakes I've made in my life is definitely focusing on 12 and ignoring 10 and 11. And if there's one horse you hear me beating to death all the time, it's that without 10, I'm doomed. Without 11, I'm doomed because 10 will make sure that the toxicity of these emotions does not rise to a level that will make the food seem like it is a step up from where I am. Very, very important information that every day that I'm lucky enough to wake up, three things have happened. I got older, things are changing, and the disease got worse. The disease is progressive. It is a living, breathing organism. It is a living, breathing organism. And what it does is it waits for things like a special occasion, a birthday, a funeral, a wedding, a bar mitzvah, a christening, a graduation, some 
possible piece of information that my brain can use to excuse the unexcusable eating food that I know is not on my food plan. And I know it, but after all, it's a special occasion. And what I can't do is give in to that voice. Some of the worst ideas I've ever had came to me wearing the sexiest clothing. And so I cannot on my own beat back those temptations. I must have God's help. And if I'm in fit spiritual condition, I could be up to my chin in chocolate and it will not call to me. If I'm not in fit spiritual condition, I could be home in bed sleeping and I will get up in the middle of the night in search of food, even when the weather or conditions are not conducive to me going out. I will go out immediately and get food when I'm not in fit spiritual condition. And remember always that the disease is progressive. Okay, bottom of page 108, we're gonna examine husband or drinker number one. And I'm gonna show off here. I know how to say step one in Italian. I listened to Barbara doing it. Paso prima, paso prima means step one in Italian. Pretty good for a Jewish kid from from uh, Devon Avenue in Chicago, huh? Paso Prima, not bad, huh? Okay, number one, I'm at the bottom of 108. Your husband may be only a heavy drinker. His drinking may be constant or it may be heavy only on certain occasions. And there are eaters like that too. Not us probably, but there are eaters. They get a little trouble with food. I have friends of mine, you know, I'm 67. They're 67, 66, 68 too. And some of them are starting to show that big uh, belly, that pot belly that they never had. God, when we were kids, they were as skinny as rails. And now all of a sudden, because their lifestyle is more sedentary and we're coming out of a pandemic and they, you know, they can't burn the food as efficiently. They went from running and basketball and football and soccer to golf and, and video games. Well, that's going to take its toll on you. And so I've seen them start to regulate their food. They're starting to notice that their shirts don't fit. They're starting to notice that their pants don't fit. They're starting to notice that their favorite uh, tie doesn't cover as much of them as it used to. It kind of comes out to a plateau. They don't like that. So they're starting to regulate their intake of food. They're starting to cut back on things. I'm seeing it now in my friends. I'm at the top of 109. Perhaps he spends too much money for liquor. It may be slowing him down up mentally and physically, but he does not see it. Sometimes he is a source of embarrassment to you and his friends. He is positive he can handle his liquor, that it does him no harm, that drinking is necessary in his business. He would probably be insulted if he were called an alcoholic. This world is full of people like him. Some will moderate or stop altogether and some will not. Of those who keep on, a good number will become true alcoholics after a while. Now, <clears throat> this is a person 
who's not really a, a compulsive overeater. They're getting in a little trouble with food. They're starting to notice that they don't look quite right. They're starting to notice in some of the pictures from the different thing. You know, we have more pictures floating around now than we ever did. When I was a kid, I don't have pictures of myself really as a kid because nobody in my family owned a camera. You know, we didn't own a camera. So, you know, we didn't have it. But now everybody's got a camera and a video recorder in their pockets and with, you know, with their phones. So we're starting to see pictures of ourselves. And some of my friends just don't like what they're seeing. And they're starting to moderate their food. Here is drinker or husband number two. Your husband is showing lack of control for he is unable to stay on the water wagon even when he wants to. Now, this is a very key thing here. Even when he wants to. What is that indicative of? That is indicative of a serious problem. And the problem is probably the physical allergy and the mental twist, which means that in our situation, if you cannot stop because you want, even though, not because, even though you want to, and you can't stay stopped even when you want to, you are probably a compulsive overeater. What does it say on page 44 of the big book of AA? If, when you want to, let me read it instead of trying to remember it. Let's, I'm gonna go to page 44 here for just a second here. I'm gonna go to page 44. What does it say here? It says here, uh, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. I'm two sentences in from the top paragraph, the first paragraph. Even when you honestly, if you, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic, probably my left foot. You are alcoholic at that point. And now when I see these words here for husband number two or eater number two, drinker number two, even when he wants to, it's, it goes on to say here, he often gets entirely out of hand when drinking. That's indicative of the allergy of the body. So from husband number two, drinker number two, eater number two forward, I'm very suspicious at this point that the person is absolutely a compulsive overeater. They may be adult onset. I have a friend of mine, you may have some friends like this too. He is 65 years old. I'm 67 years old. He is 65. When we were in our teens and 20s, and that's how long we go back, I met him when I was a teenager in high school, and we worked together, and we've known each other for a very long time. I was the best man at his wedding, and he was the best man at my wedding. We've been very close ever since. He lives in uh, San Francisco. He actually lives near Petaluma, California, Northern California, in a place called Petaluma. Um, he was very thin. And then all of a sudden you could start to see in his late twenties, early thirties. Now I had trouble with this when I was zero age, you know, baby diapers, no language. He started to become very, very, very fixated on food. 
and he didn't want to eat in healthy food places. He wanted pizza. He wanted Mexican. He wanted Chinese. He wanted all the stuff that, you know, is dangerous because it's got that heavy flour and sugar and fat combination. That's what he wanted. And today he's a lot closer to 400 pounds than he is 300 pounds, but you can't touch him. You can't touch him because he knows better and he knows everything. And, you know, okay, all I have to, all I can do is stay and watch him die. And it's very, very painful. I'm very, I'm very scared that at some point in the near future, he's had two heart attacks already. He's had two heart attacks. I'm going to get that call from his wife. And she's going to tell me that he has passed. And I'm going to be very, very sad. That'll be a very sad day. But what can I do? I can do three things, recover, recover, and recover. That's all I can do is recover, recover, recover. And hopefully one day, maybe he'll come in to the program. I can just keep praying for that. I hope so. But when they, when he, um, when they put the words in, even when he wants to, that tells me that there's a physical allergy here and a twist of the mind. So from this point forward, I'm going to assume that the person is a compulsive overeater, but at different levels, different, different parts of the spectrum. He often gets entirely out of hand when drinking physical allergy. He admits this is true, but is positive he will do better mental twist. He wants to do better. He just can't because when the buildup of emotions is so painful for him, he cannot do better. And how many of us have sworn to God? How many of us have sworn to our loved ones? How many of us have sworn to ourselves? We're never going to eat like this again. We are never going to do this to ourselves again. We were so embarrassed when so-and-so saw us. We were so embarrassed because we couldn't go to the wedding. We couldn't go to the funeral. We couldn't go to the bar mitzvah or the christening or the graduation because none of our clothes fit. And we were ashamed and embarrassed to see the people that we did not want to see because we didn't want to show them how much weight we had gained and how many of us were prisoners, literal prisoners of our disease. So I am going to say that normal eaters don't go into that hellhole, but we do because we have a disease that takes us to places that our normal functioning of the will would never allow. I always say this, the hell of the bottom that you may think is out there, if you go back into the food, has a trap door. Whatever you may think is the hell of how it will look if you go back in the food, it's going to be worse. And it is not going to be a little worse than that. It's going to be exponentially worse. So let's take in consideration that if you could have stopped, you would have stopped. But if you could have stopped, you wouldn't be one of us. And if you can't stop, welcome home. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, because the only way you're going to stop is through a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, which will dispel your desire to kill yourself with food. I'm going to say that again. 
The only thing that is going to help you is a, is a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, which will dispel your desire to kill yourself with food. You will already feel better. So your brain will not see the need of driving you into the food against your will in search of relief from the intenable, unbearable, undeniable, debilitating pain of not eating. And not eating is so painful that eating becomes preferable. It becomes a step up from where we are. Let's continue. He has begun to try with or without your cooperation, various means of moderating or staying dry. In other words, he's going or she's going on what we call a diet right? They're going to moderate on their own. They're going to traipse out their most useless tool. This is what I've done millions of times. I was on diets as far back as five and six years old. I'm going to traipse out my most useless tool, my willpower. And I'm going to say, willpower, we have gotten to a point of life where we've got to lose weight. We're not going to eat like this anymore. We're not going to live like this anymore. Do your thing. Everybody tells me that if I had some discipline and I had some willpower, I wouldn't eat that way. Okay, darn it, we're going to do that. Well, you see how well that worked. It didn't work at all. I've got 42 years here, but 22 abstinent. You do the math. I had a seven and an eight year period in that in the 20 years previously. And then for other years, I was MIA and just eating my head off. I would eat my way to the meetings. I'd pray for a Russian airstrike during the meetings. And then I would eat my way home. So I was just, I was not in um, denial. I was in what Bill Wilson used to call belligerent denial, belligerent denial. I'm still on page 109. Maybe he is beginning to lose his friends. His business may suffer somewhat. He is worried at times and is becoming aware that he cannot drink like other people. He is aware that he cannot drink. He's becoming aware that he cannot drink like other people. And that is a very hard demon to kill because I kept telling myself, even in the face of overwhelming evidence against me, that at some point I would lose enough weight to be normal. And losing weight does not expel this disease. I'm going to say that again because it's critical information. I know you're going to forget it by the time we're done because you have a built-in forgetter. And if you want to learn this or you want to retain this information, you're going to have to teach it to others. The piece of information is losing weight does not remedy this disease. Losing weight does not remedy this disease. In chemistry, there's chemical change and physical change. If I take a piece of paper and I tear it in a million pieces, that is a physical change to the paper. If I take this paper and I dip it in a vat of hydrochloric acid, that is going to be a chemical change to the paper. We need a chemical change. 
the loss of weight is a physical change unless it is accompanied by a spiritual awakening it will do nothing to dispel the fatal progressive permanent nature of the illness now that is knowledge that your ego will not allow you to retain my confusion is always equal to what my ego does not want me to see. And my ego does not want me to retain that information so it, me, I can remain in charge. So critical is that information that that piece of information that I cannot do it on my own is the entire crux to which the first few chapters of this book are dedicated because we are inculcated with knowledge of our society, our Western society, that we can indeed do this on our own. What, are, what is the biggest, I don't even know if they have bookstores anymore, but if you could envision an old fashioned bookstore in your mind, what is one of the largest sections of the, of the bookstore? The self-help section. Everybody and their grandmother has a self-help book out there. How to do this and how to do that and win friends and influence people and seven effective habits of successful people and how to stand on your head better and on and on and on. And it's all self-help books. And that may be great if you're having a problem tying your shoes or if you're having a problem, you know, learning to juggle. There are some very effective books out there that could probably teach me how to juggle bowling pins. But when it comes to controlling my consumption of food, the only force that will deal with that is a higher source than myself that I choose to call God. You can call it anything you want. Call it Winnie the Pooh, call it Piglet, call it Owl, call it Christopher Robin, or uh, any of the other guys, Gru, Kangaroo back there. You can call it anything you want. My first higher power was Lake Michigan. You look out over Lake Michigan when you're driving on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. It's right there to the east. And if, if you drive too far east, you'll be swimming you know, in the water. But it, my first higher power was Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan doesn't care about whether the Cubs win or lose. Lake Michigan doesn't care about the price of gasoline or the availability of housing or doesn't care about any of that stuff. It's just there and you can't see across it. If you've never seen it, it's not like a lake. You, maybe you're envisioning a lake in your mind. You can see across it or you can swim. This is not that. This is an inland ocean. This is an inland sea. It's 319 miles long and 196 miles wide. You can't swim across it. But the bottom line is, is that you have this disease and lack of power becomes the dilemma. So only a spiritual awakening can remedy this disease. I hope that these words here are making a little more sense than they did before, that this is not about the wife and the husband, this is about us. This is about our sponsors. This is about our sponsees, depending upon where you are, you know, in the process. He sometimes drinks in the morning and through the day also to hold his nervousness in check.
I used M&Ms with peanuts like another person would use Xanax or another person would use uh, whatever. M&Ms with peanuts, I wasn't aware of this at the time, but M&Ms with peanuts always made me feel much better for a while, nine seconds, 10 maybe, 10 maybe, and then they made me feel worse, much worse, horribly worse suicidally worse, negative thinking worse, morbid reflection worse, wishing I was dead, wishing you were dead, wishing the world would just stop and that everything could go back to a neutral zone where I didn't have this anymore and I could be thin like all of the friends I had. Why was I afflicted with this disease and they not? What contest in hell did I win? What, what spree of felonies had I committed neonatally? What neonatal crime spree had I masterminded to doom me to a life of being a fatso, a tub of lard? Why was I like this? I simply didn't know and I couldn't see my way north and I couldn't see my way south. Thank God I have the directions in this book. He is remorseful. I'm still on 109. He is remorseful after serious drinking bouts and tells you that he wants to stop. This sentence is indicative, again, of the inability that we have to moderate or regulate on our own willpower. We cannot moderate or regulate on our own. And this sentence describes perfectly the remorse and the horror of the next day, the next morning. And how would I frequently put the fire out of eating too many chips ahoy? By eating more chips ahoy. I would swear to God, I'm never going to eat chips ahoy again. And I would go to the store and buy Chips Ahoy cookies, vowing in front, of the, um, in front of the checkout person to myself, I'm never gonna buy these again, ever. This is the last time. But as long as I'm here, I might as well throw in a couple of packages of M&Ms and a couple of packages of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and a couple of Almond Joy and a bag or two of Doritos because tomorrow I'm going on my diet. And if that sounds like you, welcome home. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. But when he gets over the spree, he begins to think once more how he can drink moderately next time. Hello, I thought I was the only one that thought like this. And yet here it is in print. Boy, that Bill Wilson really knew me well. We think this person is in danger. These are the earmarks of a real alcoholic. You bet your bippy they are. You bet your bippy they are the earmarks of a real alcoholic. Maybe husband number one, drinker number one, uh, eater number one isn't a compulsive overeater. But husband or drinker or, or uh, eater number two definitely is. He wants to stop. He can't. He wants to moderate. He can't. That is the indication. Perhaps he can still tend to business fairly well, 
he has by no means ruined everything. As we say amongst ourselves, he wants to want to stop. Now let's go to eater, drinker, husband number three, and we're going to see the progression of the disease in yet another person. So we're going to look at this as a comparative analysis. Maybe the person has more of an affliction. Maybe the person is older, but let's take a look at number three. We're at the very bottom of 109. This husband has gone much further than husband number two. Notice the progression, much further. Watch the words in the big book. They are very indicative of what the intention is. He hasn't gone further, he's gone much further. That adjective is indicative of things that happen during the progression of the illness. Though once like number two, he became worse. Notice there's nothing in this book other than recovery stories where they get better. They only get worse. His friends have slipped away. His home is a near wreck. He cannot hold a position. Maybe the doctor has been called in and the weary round of sanitariums and hospitals has begun. Many of us come here and maybe we weren't in hospitals, maybe we were, maybe we went to psychiatrists, maybe we went to psychologists, maybe we went here, maybe we went there, whatever. I'm not knocking psychiatry, I'm not knocking psychology. They are wonderful, wonderful arts and they are wonderful and they help a lot of people and they're fantastic. The big book even instructs me not to knock them. It says make use of what they offer and I do. When I needed my hips and my knees replaced, I didn't go to the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club and knock on the door and say, hey, everybody, come on over here, pray with me, my hip needs to be replaced. I didn't do that. I went to Scottsdale Health Care Center or Health North, whatever the heck it's called, at the 101 in Shea, and I knocked on the door of the doctor and I said, hey, doctor, my hip hurts. And he says, of course it hurts. You're bone on bone. When can we get your hip replaced? And he gave me an operation and that hip hasn't hurt since. Then I said, hey, doctor, the other hip hurts. Then the knee, then the other. Now they're all titanium. I don't have any of the, I do not have, I am not all original parts. I, am, I have aftermarket parts inside of me now that came from, a, from a, a, a laboratory. So the bottom line is the person coming in has searched out different remedies. And for some reason, and I don't know what that reason is, we have to search out every damn wrong answer before we will come to the right answer. This is the right answer. If you're on the struggle bus, if you're on the struggle bus and you are struggling, you are just struggling and you are having problems, give this a chance. There is recovery here. There are people here, there's 125 of us and there are people on this meeting right now that are not compulsively overeating and they are refraining from doing so happily. 
We are not white knuckling it. We are not hanging by the chandelier, stark raving abstinence. We are not going home and stark raving abstinent. No, we are free. How free do you want to be? If you want to be as free as us, you'll have to do what we do. You'll have to work the program. <sighs> and if you work the program, then the most magnificent promise ever made to anyone ever will come true for you. It's on page 88 of the big book. It says very simply, it works. It really does. One of the most important sentences ever written in any language is on page 88 of the big book. It works. It really does. So let's go back to page 110 and let's continue to examine number three and see how it applies. He admits he cannot drink like other people. That means he's a compulsive overeater or an alcoholic, but does not see why. Now, I want to talk to you about somebody that was very near and dear to my heart. Her name was Sherry. And she was a lovely, lovely person. If I had a brain, I would have married her. The world is less purple because she's dead. She loved the color purple. Everything was purple. The world is a lot less interested in art because she's dead. She loved art. I have no taste for art. I have... The only artist I like is Gary Larson, and that's not considered high art, but he's the only one I really like is Gary Larson. Um, and um, the world is doesn't have as many fans of blues music since she is dead. She loved blues music. And she would go into any neighborhood in Chicago, any back alley blues bar to hear good blues music. And she loved it. And Sherry was a psychologist, University of Michigan and University, Northwestern University, two very good schools. And she had a PhD and she had a all kinds, she had more degrees than a, than a thermometer. And she had a degree that was considered not a PhD, but um, postdoc. I, I think that's what it's called, postdoc. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, she had the one that's beyond the PhD. And she was not going to put the food down until she could complete the forensic analysis of why she was eating it. And we would beg her, please put the food down. Who cares why? He does not see why. Why won't get me to first base? Why is an argument? Who cares why? I'll explain why. Here's why. I have an allergy of the body and a twist of the mind. It doesn't matter. Your mother could be um, Eleanor Roosevelt, and your father could be uh, Albert Einstein, or Santa Claus, or the Easter Bunny, or Winnie the Pooh, or whatever. It wouldn't matter. This is not a product of nurture. It is a product of nature. Say that again. This is not a project, a product project. This is not a product of nurture. It is a product of nature. Let's continue. He clings to the notion that he will yet find a way to do so. 
What does that tell you? I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to do this on my own. Isn't that what we scream? Isn't that what we believe? We don't want help. We're dying. We're dying. And we don't want help. If we were drowning, we'd welcome the lifeguard. If our leg was broken, we'd welcome the ambulance driver. If we had a flat tire, the road crew service of our, of our uh, dealer, or I have what's called something, Honda Care, whatever the hell it is. Yeah, they come and they'll do that. I would welcome them. I'm 67 years old. I ain't changing a tire. But yet when it comes to this, I don't need any help. I don't need any help. Leave me alone. I'm going to meetings. I'm not going to meetings. I'm going in. I'm coming out. I'm going in. I'm coming out. I see this all the time. It's a damn revolving door. People come in, they go out, they come in, they go out. It's like Macy's. We have to be beat down so that we will stay. And we're not going to stay until we're out of ideas. I've told you this story. I'll tell you this story again. I was sponsored by a very large, rude, mean man. Very large, very rude, very mean. And on Saturday afternoon, I would meet with him every week and I would talk to him every day and he would poke his finger in my chest. I was 24 years old. And he'd say, are you out of ideas yet, kid? Are you out of ideas yet, kid? Because if you ain't out of ideas, I ain't gonna waste my time with you. Only he used the golf words, the real words. You can just fill them in yourself. I got to be out of ideas on how I'm going to do this myself because my ideas on how I'm going to do this myself never got me anywhere but fatter and fatter and fatter. He may have come to the point where he desperately wants to stop but cannot. He is a compulsive overeater. He wants to stop but cannot, not on his own. His case presents additional questions, which we shall try to answer for you. You can be quite hopeful of a situation like this. The reason you can be hopeful is the further you, the further you go down and smack that bottom, the more likely you will be to recover. Recovery can take place only when the fear of more food and more weight or less food and less weight overcomes the fear of letting it go. I have to fear more Reese's peanut butter cups more than I fear letting them go because I cannot live the way I was living. It was not going to happen. The loneliness, the asexual existence, the deformity of my body, being a laughing stock when I would go in public. Right after this, I'm going to meet a friend for lunch in a very public outdoor setting. There's gonna be lots of people, lots of kids, lots, and I do not any longer fear that I will break the chair or that I will be laughed at and ridiculed in public. But that took years and years and years. Every time I ventured out into the world, I was an object of ridicule. 
every wiseacre, every child that I encountered laughed at me and pointed at me and adults would say rude things to me. Maybe you don't have that experience. I hope you don't. But I don't fear that today. I don't have to. I'm not an object of ridicule anymore. I'm a child of God. Let's go to Oh my God, is it really? Oh my God. Okay, husband drinker, eater number four. Somebody is unmuted. Okay, you may have a husband on whom you can, Maria, can you grab that or something? Or can we do something about that? Okay. Okay, good. You may have a husband of whom you can completely despair. He has been placed in one institution after another. Some of us have been in treatment centers and some of us have been in hospitals. And some, He is violent or appears definitely insane when drunk. Sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital. Perhaps he has had delirium tremens. Doctors may shake their heads and advise you to have him committed. Maybe you have already been obliged to put him away. The picture may not be as dark as it looks. Many of our husbands were just as far gone, yet they got well. I never fear that someone will hit a bottom. I don't prevent any catastrophe and I cause no catastrophe in others. But hitting a bottom is not the worst thing that ever happened. For some of us, hitting a bottom is very different than for some other people. I've told you this before, I'm gonna tell you this again. I have a lot of friends in this program. I have a lot of friends who are not in this program. I'm very, very lucky to have so many friends. I do have a very rich life when it comes to that. And I'm very, very lucky. But one of my friends is someone that I'm thinking of today that lives also in Northern California. And to look at this person, you would not know. And if I brought this person into the room, and if you come to the birthday or you come to Newark for the convention of vision, none of those are on the dockets right now. But if you come to those things, I'll introduce you to this person. This person is a person you look at them and you think, what the hell are you doing here? They certainly wouldn't appear to be someone that would need a program like this. They're, they've never been... Uh, a person that appeared that way to me, but they are bulimic, they're anorexic, and they're compulsive overeater. So they do the pendulum, they do the swing. If you looked at her, you looked at this person, you would never in a million years think, oh my God, this is a person with a serious eating problem. You wouldn't know it. The more you hear the story unravel, you hear that this person is a back alley, dumpster, garbage can, garbage, compulsive overeater with everything but feet and ankles in a dumpster eating food compulsively that they don't want to be eating. So it doesn't matter whether you're bulimic. It doesn't matter whether you're anorexic. It doesn't matter whether you're a compulsive overeater or the pendulum, like this friend of mine is a pendulum. She is a back alley garbage can compulsive overeater as am I. Now, maybe some of you never were so restrictive, so bulimic that you reach dangerous proportion. 
Maybe some of you have never weighed more than say 200 pounds in your life. If you have this allergy, which compels you to eat against your will, and you have this twist of the mind, the only thing you can do to alleviate this is to recover using the steps. Nothing that is of this earth is going to help me in that position. And if I look at the next week, we're going to look back at husband number one. We're going to look back at these guys and we're going to review what we've done this week. But let's just take a look right now at the ABCs on page 60. What is A? That I am a compulsive overeater. I have the allergy of the body. I have the twist of the mind. Now, B, that no human power could have relieved my uh, compulsion. Money won't do it. Fame won't do it. Fortune won't do it. There is nothing that is of this earth that is going to help me once I have acquired this disease at birth and see that God could and would if he were sought. Losing weight will not remedy the disease. Gaining weight, if you're anorexic or you're a restrictor, gaining weight will not remedy this disease. This, those are physical changes. Remember the piece of paper. I tear up the piece of paper, that's a physical change. But chemically, it's still a piece of paper. I set it on fire or I drop it in hydrochloric acid and now I have affected a chemical change. And the chemical change alters the chemistry of the paper. It alters the chemistry. We need a chemical change rather than a physical change. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, I'm going to leave you with this thought and then we'll take questions and answers. It is very, very important for me to remember for me that no matter where I am on the spectrum, the disease is permanent. There's no getting rid of it. You hear people all the time. This is the number one question asked on vision. And it is probably the number one question that I get asked here on Saturday mornings. What is the number one question? What is the difference between recovered and recovering? Well, here's the difference. A recovered person has had a spiritual awakening. They have worked the steps. They are working the steps. And they have affected a spiritual awakening with God's help so that the urge to completely destroy themselves with food has been removed temporarily and they do not find it necessary to kill themselves with food temporarily. And a recover, recovered person is in that state. A recovering person is one who is working toward that goal. That's all that means. It's all that means. Recovered has had a spiritual awakening. Recovering hasn't had one yet. They're working toward that end. Now, before I turn it over to Nancy or Maria, I think it goes Maria and then Nancy. I'm just going to remind you guys of a couple of things. 
Number one, please no food questions. And number two, no math questions. And if you've had, uh, if you if you asked a question last night, 